Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Locals, they call you home. The Oneiders. That's the wonders. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Let's keep the fast, guys. Slow down. Come on. Come on. Slow down. Hi everyone, I'm Emma. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 126. That thing you do. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, a huge welcome back to everyone listening to this podcast, to all of you wonderful returning listeners, and a huge welcome to all of you brand new listeners to this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for choosing Verbal Diorama for That Thing You Do. Because let's be honest, this is a movie that's all about the joy of music and basically about how brilliant it is to hear yourself on the airwaves for the first time. And this is something that I think a lot of podcasters can actually relate to. Because although podcasters obviously put their own stuff out there, it's not like you send your stuff to a radio station. But Verbalorama has actually been featured on a radio station, on podcast radio. Verbal has actually been on that radio station three times. And every single time I've been on podcast radio, it's always just been the most exciting thing. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't run down the street screaming, 
But it's always really, really exciting to, you know, get that recognition and to have people hear your podcast. It's honestly so exhilarating to know that people are listening to your stuff. So I completely get this movie. Even though I'm not a musician, I completely get it. So yeah, I am a huge fan of this movie. But before we jump into that thing you do, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to previous episodes, has taken their time to comment on previous episodes like Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion and the most recent episode that I did on Anchorman featuring the wonderful Nicholas Haskins, who I adore. And obviously guest episodes are always a little bit different because it is different having someone on this podcast. You have to have a conversation with that person. But I hope that whatever episodes that you have listened to in this podcast, that you've enjoyed them. But just speaking about that thing you do, it may have not been a huge hit at the box office, but you can't say very many movies birthed a production company. And nor do they have the powerhouse that is Tom Hanks at the helm. And this is a movie that's 25 years old this year as well. And it doesn't feel like it's 25 years old. This movie feels timeless for so many reasons. And really, 25 years after its release, that thing you do still has that thing it has. Here's the trailer. Guy Patterson didn't have a perfect job ah. or a perfect social life. What's going on down there? Cooking the books as usual, Dad. But what he did have... Oh was perfect timing. How about sitting in for Chad just for tonight? Why? Just broke his arm. And in one night... That's too fast, Guy. Slow down! Guy, slow down! Guy Patterson is going to take the wonders... ...from Garage... I almost slugged some girl. She had her eye on my Jimmy. ...to greatness. Here's somebody I want you to meet. Mr. White is with Playtone Records. That thing you do, you know, is snappy. We'd like to release it. We'd be on tour? Well, Mama, your son who loves you just left us in the lurch. Darlene, you just got promoted. You mean you're gonna start paying me? I didn't say that. America's own wonders! Put that down. That is a very expensive floor display. We bow, and we're off the stage before the applause dies out. It's very important you don't stink today. Hey, I make no guarantees. You guys look great in red. Have I told you that yet? Come on, pretty baby. You got the number seven record in the country. <laughs> He's got a very pretty girlfriend, doesn't he? Is it serious, you know? Very serious. I'm single. What about the bass player? You fellas look great in gold. Have I told you that? What about Guy there? He's amazing. Amazing. 20th Century Fox presents... This is Mr. White. Are you sleeping? Just calling to tell you to get your patootie down to the television studio. You're going to be on TV tonight. Oh, what? A story about the time in every life. <laughs> when the hopes you hold on to... Very special, isn't she? And the dreams you dream... None of this would have happened if you hadn't joined the band. ...become that thing you do. Directed by Tom Hanks. Look fabulous in the black suits. Have I told you that? Hi. Fabulous in the black suits. In other 1964, Erie, Pennsylvania, jazz aficionado Guy Patterson, unhappily toiling in the family appliance store, is recruited into the band The Omidas, later renamed The Wonders, after regular drummer Chad breaks his arm. 
After Guy injects a fourth ball rock beat into lead singer Jimmy's ballad, the song's undeniable pop power flings the wonders into a brief whirlwind of success, telling the tale of many American bands who attempted to grab the brass ring of rock and roll in the wake of the British invasion. We'll quickly go through the cast of this movie. Tom Everett Scott as Guy Skitch slash Shades Patterson, Liv Tyler as Faye Dolan, Jonathan Sheck as Jimmy Mattingly, Steve Zahn as Lenny Hayes, Ethan Embry as Tobias TB Player. Now, while the character is credited as TB Player or the bass player, as a nod to the fact that no one remembers the name of the bass player, Ethan Embry has retrospectively named the character Tobias because apparently he looks and feels like a Tobias. Tom Hanks as Mr. White, Charlie Theron as Tina Powers, Bill Cobbs as Del Paxton, Giovanni Ribisi as Chad, Oba Babatunde as Lamar, Alex Rocco as Sol Siler, Chris Isaac as Uncle Bob, Larry Antonino as Scott Wolfman Pell, Holmes Osborne as Mr. Patterson, Robert Torty as Freddie Fredrickson, Shale Percival as Diane Dane, Kenya Ramsey, Julie Harkness and Darlene Dillinger as the Chantrelines. This movie also features cameos from Rita Wilson, Paul Feig, Brian Cranston, Tracy Reiner, Sean Whalen, Clint Howard, Peter Scolari, Kevin Pollock, Jonathan Demi, Chris Ennis and Tom Hanks' son, Colin Hanks. That Thing You Do was written and directed by Tom Hanks. And coming after arguably Tom Hanks' most successful run in his career, post A League of Their Own, which I've done an episode on, by the way, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Paula 13, and Toy Story, which is certainly something when you're Tom Hanks. And you also went on to do Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, The Green Mile, and Castaway. That thing you do stands out in Hanks' list of achievements, not just because it was his screenwriting debut, nor that it was also his directorial debut, but that it was clearly a passion project for Hanks from the get-go. Like many people in America and across the world, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in November 1963 cast a gloomy shadow. The young Tom Hanks was only seven when the Beatles made their American debut on The Ed Sullivan Show in February 1964. As 73 million people watched Beatlemania hit the United States and the so-called British invasion started. Hanks followed the Beatles world tour and loved the joyful music that was so far detached from how the nation had been feeling in the wake of the assassination of a beloved president. But this fascination with the Beatles wasn't the core idea for a movie he'd write and direct in the future. It wasn't the lives of Paul, John, George and Ringo that fascinated young Tom Hanks. It was what happened on their Australian tour. Ringo Starr came down with tonsillitis on that tour and rather cancelled the tour. Beatles manager Brian Epstein hired a temporary replacement drummer, Jimmy Nickel. For eight of the Beatles shows, Nickel was their Ringo. For the ninth show, Ringo Starr was back behind the percussion. This temporary drummer story ran in Hanks' head for three decades. What must it be like to be a huge star, be adored by millions and then be nothing? It's not rocket science to suggest that during the 60s, not every band was as big as the Beatles. It's also not brain surgery to suggest that that thing you do being set in the same year that the Beatles invaded America is also not a coincidence. That joyful nostalgia of 1964 evokes the Beatles for a good reason. This is a biopic of musical history without being an actual biopic. It takes pieces of musical history, references multiple bands, singers and musical tracks without having to actually rely on real life. The reason why so many Hollywood biopics have embellishments or are just based on true events is because Hollywood deems these true stories to 
quite as interesting as fictional events. So Tom Hanks got around the licensing issues and more on the music specifically later by creating a wholly original story based on the actual stories of so many of the one-hit wonders that we see in music history. It's not rocking surgery that the band are called the Wonders or the Oneidas. It was during filming of Forrest Gump that Hanks wrote an 11-page treatment. It was after rapping production on Apollo 13 and during promotion for Philadelphia and Forrest Gump that Hanks decided to take this long gestating idea and write a screenplay, mostly to take his mind off everything else that he had going on at the time. He had no formal screenwriting experience, despite having tried to write at the past, and simply based it on the scripts that he had received over the years. But this idea just worked. It was his dream project, and he utilised his connections in Hollywood. He sent his idea to Nora Ephron, who gave him her honest appraisal of his fledgling screenplay, which led to him tightening it up. And this is very much a story based on the star power of Tom Hanks, because while the cast were relative unknowns at the time, the behind-the-scenes talent was befitting of a Tom Hanks written, directed by, and co-starring production. Hanks himself had just come off working with Jonathan Demi of Philadelphia, and Hanks knew he wanted Demi to produce his movie. It was Demi who suggested Hanks partner with Gary Goetzman, and it was also Demi who proved vital to believing Hanks had what it took to write and direct a feature. It was Jonathan Demi who sent Hanks' script, submitted anonymously to avoid bias, to the development department at Fox, the script ended up getting rave reviews and it was only afterwards that they realised it had been written by Tom Hanks. Cinematographer Tak Fujimoto was a frequent collaborator of producer Jonathan Demi, had worked on Silence of the Lambs, Gladiator and Philadelphia and had been nominated for a BAFTA for that as well. He'd go on to work on The Sixth Sense and would work any further two times with M. Night Shyamalan and he was also enlisted to work on That Thing You Do. Costume designer Colleen Atwood had been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Costume Design 12 times, winning four, as of recording this episode, for Chicago, Memoirs of a Geisha, Alice in Wonderland and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. She's also a regular collaborator of Jonathan Demi. She's worked on The Silence of the Lambs and Philadelphia, as well as working with Tim Burton and Rob Marshall. And she was obviously pivotal to the production of That Thing You Do in order to ensure that the costuming for the movie looked authentic to the 1960s. Producer Gary Goetzman would also be pivotal to this story too. Having worked on Science of the Lambs at Philadelphia, you're going to notice a theme to all of these people who are participating in this movie. He would continue his working relationship with Top Hacks by co-founding their production company together, as well as contributing to the soundtrack of That Thing You Do by writing four tracks. He was also the music supervisor for Point Break. That's not the obligatory Keanu reference, but... Just take that as a pre-obligatory Keanu reference, if you will. It would seem like the production was blessed with a hell of a lot of talent behind the scenes, but Fox was still nervous. Despite Tom Hanks' name being on the script and on the director's chair, they wanted him to also take a role in the movie as well to balance the young and inexperienced cast that they would have to sign to get this movie made. The first person they did cast was Steve Zahn, who was in a play with Ethan Hawke, that was seen by casting assistant Meredith Tucker, who suggested Zahn for the part of Lenny. Zahn read the script, didn't know it was a Tom Hanks script, nailed the part, and then realised he would be working for Tom Hanks. With Zahn cast, pre-production and casting began in the summer of 1995. As with everything in this movie, as we'll come to, Tom Hanks was thorough, he was dedicated, and he was meticulous in choosing the right people for this cast. Reportedly, Billy Crudup, Ed Norton, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck and Luke Wilson all read the parts. 
Charlize Theron was right at the start of her career and wanted the part of Faye. She insisted to Hanks that she knew she could play Tina, but wanted to play Faye. Hanks believed her to be too much of a supernova for Faye. Theron was cast as Tina, but Hanks knew, at this point, he'd met a movie star. And I'll come to the extended version a bit later, but Tina's role was slightly larger in the extended version. Liv Tyler and Ethan Embry had just finished working on Empire Records when they got auditions for That Thing You Do. Ethan Embry was cast first and they loved his odd nature. Jonathan Sheck simply had to audition the I Quit line. He was the only actor who dressed the part and sang the line as well. Of course, it also looked like he was the heartthrob of the band. Hank specifically wanted the lineup to appeal to everyone. Like everyone has their favourite member of a boy band, each member had to have that unique look. But back to Liv Tyler, because Faye and Guy were the last roles to be cast. Originally, Hanks wanted Tyler's Aerosmith video castmate, Alicia Silverstone, who was at the time riding high from Clueless. Liv Tyler was touted as the girl next door. She wasn't classically trained, so when she met with Tom Hanks, they ended up having a very casual read-through together, which made her feel more comfortable. She impressed him with her class and her natural delivery of lines. Tyler also has connections to the music industry, her father is obviously Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith, but growing up, she had Todd Rundgren as her father. And as far as Liv Tyler was concerned, she didn't know who her real father was until she was 14. And when she was a child, Rundgren was always recording or touring, so she really understood the music industry better than most actresses at the time. And Guy Patterson, the guy, guy, guy of the movie, who changes the fate of the band just by upping the tempo of a ballad, was the hardest role to cast. Tom Everett Scott was starting a theatre company. He'd done roles in TV, but he'd never made a movie. His agent submitted him for the part and Scott was blown away that it was a Tom Hanks movie because, let's be honest, Tom Hanks is everyone's hero. Tom Hanks had been his hero. And who isn't in awe of Tom Hanks? But when Scott read for the part, everyone saw a young Tom Hanks. And that turned out to be a bit of a problem for Tom Hanks. Not because you don't want a young actor to emulate you visually, but no one else had wowed him like Tom Everett Scott. And the fact Scott looked eerily similar to young Hanks made Hanks wonder if it was right to cast him. No pun intended. It was Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson, who persuaded him to cast Tom Everett Scott. Sometimes, fellas, your wife is right. Rita Wilson would appear as cocktail waitress Marguerite. And this was just after giving birth to her and Hanks' son, Truman. It was her first role postpartum. And Hanks wanted her to look like the cocktail waitress of every young man's dream. And let's be honest, Rita Wilson is smoking hot in this movie. Tom Everett Scott read with Liv Tyler, and he got given a pair of Ray-Bans by Tom Hanks, scenes which would emulate the character of Guy becoming shades in the movie. With the cast assembled and the four leads being tutored on playing instruments, which they did for four weeks prior to shooting, the search was on to find their sound. Rather than license actual music from the 60s, which would have cost a lot of money, reportedly even B-sides were too expensive, the production team decided to open the music up as a competition. They invited songwriters to submit songs. Their only instruction was the song had to be called That Thing You Do and it had to invoke the 60s. Otherwise, the songwriter was free to interpret this any way they wanted. And usually on this podcast, I talk about the music later. But the music is so important to this movie and so important to the conception of this movie that I'm talking about it now for the main theme song. And it's incredibly bittersweet to talk about the music of That Thing You Do, namely because the songwriter who wrote That Thing You Do, who won the competition, was Adam Schlesinger. 
You may know him from Fountains of Wayne, specifically the song Stacey's Mom. She's still got it going on, by the way. It's still a banger. Or the band Ivy. I mostly know him from his work on the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He was an incredibly talented individual. And the reason it feels bittersweet is that Adam Schlesinger passed away last year for complications of COVID-19, aged just 52. Schlesinger, who had just signed a music publishing deal with Polygram, heard the project was for Top Hanks and decided it was worth a put. Joining Schlesinger was vocalist Mike Viola, and together they chose out of the three tracks that Schlesinger had created and wanted a very distinct Beatles vibe. They went into the studio with music producer Andy Chase, who insisted they record in mono rather than stereo and also record on analog tape. They set the song into the competition and it ended up being one of about 300 entries. As well as being the third one Tom Hanks heard, it was immediately the favourite. Despite that thing you do being an upbeat song, Mike Viola was, at the time, mourning the death of his wife and he considered not being involved in the movie because of this. While all of the actors do play their instruments as they learned and they ended up becoming quite good, all of the main vocals were Mike Viola. The actors studied not just the tracks written for the movie, but also the Beatles' performances, their appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, American Bandstand, basically everything an 18-year-old would be consuming in 1964. Tom Hanks was, as we said, quite meticulous on making that thing you do as time-appropriate as possible. This particular title track, That Thing You Do, became a genuine hit for the fictional band The Wonders in 1996. The song peaked at number 41 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 22 on the Adult Contemporary Charts, number 18 on the Adult Top 40, and number 24 on the Top 40 Mainstream Charts. And the track was nominated for a 1996 Golden Globe Award, as well as a 1996 Academy Award for Best Original Song. When filming started just after Thanksgiving 1995 in Los Angeles, including on location at the Ambassador Hotel, including upper floors that were derelict and probably haunted, and also on the beach at Malibu for the beach movie scenes, it was a very relaxed and light-hearted set. Despite the pressure Hanks was under as director, writer and star, he just wanted his young cast to feel comfortable. His only rules were be on time and know your lines. In fact, it was very much like having the Beatles there because fans were chanting for Hanks on the streets. Streets which had carefully chosen shop facades in Erie, Pennsylvania, which was actually the old town of Orange, California, to look exactly like they were from 1964. The cars were authentic, the clothes were authentic, the appliances in Patterson's were authentic, even down to the musical instruments used by the band. All were specifically chosen because they were authentic to the time period. Hanks also did want an out-and-out villain in this movie. He wanted the music industry to be the big bad that the industry could mess up even the most talented individuals, put them on a pedestal, and then throw them off it. Even Sol Siler isn't necessarily a bad guy. He's just the top brass. Of course he has no idea who an up-and-coming band are. That the industry is cutthroat isn't particularly news to anyone. Bands break up every day. But the idea went back to the replaceability of Ringo Starr. If he could be replaced in the Beatles, then anyone was replaceable. This is highlighted when TB Player becomes a Marine. He's replaced by Wolfman. And literally no one blinks an eyelid. Choreography for the movie was done by Tony Basil. In a weird twist of fate, also a one-hit wonder, she is the same pom-pom Tony Basil who released Mickey in 1982. Tom Hanks was researching the 1964 rock musical The TAMI Show in preparation for That Thing You Do and caught Basil's name in the credits. He then recruited her to oversee the dance numbers for his film. And while this is a story about how harsh the music industry is, it's also a story about dreams and how infectious joy could be. 
when you hear your song on the radio for the first time, of course you'd scream and run down the street and jump in a circle. They purposely gave each character equal screen time for this scene to show how much it equally meant to them all. Shout out to Woolworths in the background when Faye is posting letters when Mum used to work for Woolworths. Liv Tyler actually had Tom Hanks in her ear at the time pretending to be the radio DJ. Oba Baba Tunde's character Lamar originally shot a different ending where Lamar summarises everyone's life post the band. This was shot, but test audiences were split between that and the postcard summaries. They eventually went with the fake biography endings, which is how all great biopics end, with a summary of what everyone did after they were in the band. They still left Lamar's break of the fourth wall, though, which still adds a little bit of a mystical element to Lamar. And while this movie references many musical acts of the 60s, especially those who didn't make it, it mostly references the Beatles. When the wonders appear on TV, Jimmy's subtitle says, Careful girls, he's engaged. This references when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show, John Lennon's subtitle was, Sorry girls, he's married. And the inclusion of Faye could be seen as mirroring when John Lennon brought his then-wife Cynthia on tour. Cynthia even got separated from the band and assumed to be a groupie, just like Faye. Unlike Faye, Cynthia was left behind in New York when the Beatles travelled to their next gig. Beatlemania truly hit just as Cynthia gave birth to Herman Lennon's son Julian. And the fact that Lennon was married and had a child was kept secret for almost a year before the press found out about the child's christening. Beatles fans found out where they were living and Cynthia did accompany the band on their US tour and Herbie photographed with them reportedly infuriated band manager Brian Epstein. Epstein was also gay and cutscenes in That Thing You Do make mention of Mr White as a gay man with a male partner. There were two real-life bands called The Wonders. One had a ballad titled With These Hands that was played by KCRG in Cedar Rapids, Iowa in the autumn of 1962. The other had a regional hit record called Say There, released in August 1963. But I think it's safe to say that neither of those wonders had the level of success that these wonders did. The fictional Plato would also spill over into real life as Tom Hanks and Gary Gutsman founded the Plato Production Studio formerly named Clavia Space, after the fictional lunar settlement in Arthur C. Clarke's Space Odyssey novel in 1968 and Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Clavia Space was the production company of this movie, but all movies from 2000 onwards, starting with Castaway, would be produced by Playtone. Movies produced by Playtone include My Big Fat Greek Wedding and Mamma Mia, and both sequels to those movies, along with a couple of other Tom Hanks movies as well. Playtone Records also produces the soundtrack of all Hanks' subsequent films, as well as albums of other films like Josie and the Pussycats and Bring It On. I'm going to be coming to Josie and the Pussycats in a short while. Moving on, I want to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to make the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And I have kind of given a little bit of a taster linked to Keanu. And to be fair, I think that would probably be a better one to use. But I couldn't help but notice that this movie is set in 1964. And obviously Keanu Reeves was born in 1964. So that's the one I'm going to go with. And also you've got the fact that Gary Goatsman was music supervisor of Point Break. But otherwise, this movie is set the same year that Keanu Reeves came into the world. If that's on a joyous occasion, I don't know what is. So I've talked a little bit about the music with the main theme song, That Thing You Do. The soundtrack album was released under the Plato name in conjunction with Epic Records. This was also a hit, peaking at number 21 on the Billboard 200 album charts. Features original music by Tom Hanks, Adam Schlesinger, Rick Elias, Scott Rogness, Mike Piccarillo, Gary Goatsman and Howard Shaw. The CD artwork is a replica of the fictional Plato label used in the movie. 
and the liner notes are done in a mockumentary style, basically as if the Wonders had been a real group and the events of the movie had actually happened. When it came to marketing that thing you do, Fox put on a star-studded state fair-style premiere, complete with a carousel, a Ferris wheel and a strongman event, basically a full-on amusement park just for the premiere of this movie. The main cast went on a huge press tour as if they were the Wonders with matching suits because you buy nice boys, nice suits. And these guys look good in red, they look good in golf, they look good in every colour. The cast went all over the world to promote the movie and early signs looked promising. On the 4th of October 1996, That Thing You Do debuted the same week as The Glimmer Man and D3 The Mighty Ducks. That Thing You Do would reach number three in its initial week of release, but couldn't quite better The Glimmer Man, nor hit the high heights of that week's number one movie, The First Wives Club. Hanks was notably disappointed that the movie hadn't done better. He admitted that he didn't expect it to make history. The fact it did okay and they quietly dropped out of the charts hurt him quite a lot. Fox had hoped having the name Tom Hanks above the marquee and on the director's chair would make it a hit. But at that time, it just didn't do the business that they expected. It would end up grossing $25.9 million domestically and $8.7 million internationally for a worldwide gross of $34.6 million. It would, however, go on to do good business in DVD and the home market like so many of these movies that just don't get the audiences at the cinemas blew up on DVD and really showed what a success it was and still is. And this is a movie that is currently available on Disney+. Plus. It's well worth a watch. The version of the movie available on Disney+, Plus is the theatrical version, and I am going to talk about the extended version in a little bit. But this is a movie that was really well received by critics and audiences. So the people who went to see this movie really, really loved it. And people really do still love it as well. It currently holds a 93% fresh rating at Rotten Tomatoes. And really, it is one of those movies that will continually hold up. It actually only seems to get better with time. There are no sequels, but as I said, there is an extended cut of the movie, adding 39 additional minutes of deleted scenes. Many of the scenes are devoted to character development. There are more scenes between Guy and Tina, including a makeout session at his apartment. There's also a more in-depth look at Guy and Faye's relationships, some mild flirting, although arguably in the theatrical version, I kind of sensed quite a bit between Guy and Faye and also his deteriorating relationship with Tina and also more on Tina's relationship with her dentist. As I said, it also suggests the character portrayed by Tom Hanks is not only gay, but in a relationship with a man. That man is played by former NFL defensive lineman Howie Long. There's more development on the relationship between TB Player and one of the singers of the Chantrelines. And again, in the theatrical cut, there is definitely something there between the two characters, like they dance together. But otherwise, you don't really get much of a romance depicted between them. And at the end of the extended edition, rather than become a studio drummer on the recommendation of Del Paxton, Guy becomes a disc jockey for the jazz station KJZZ or KJZZ if you're American and records a documentary series of interviews with legendary jazz musicians. And as I said, this year is the 25th anniversary of this movie. It is a movie that does not age. And on the 4th of September 2021, cast members Jonathan Sheck, Tom Everett Scott and Steve Zahn travelled to Erie for Wonders Night, hosted by the professional baseball team Erie Seawolves and then participated in a panel discussion. They did an autograph session. Ethan Embry joined the panel discussion virtually. The event ended up raising nearly a quarter of a million dollars for the charity Noticeability. 
And you can tell just by listening and reading interviews with the cast of this movie that they have such a love for the making of this movie, their time together, how this movie has resonated with people watching. And honestly, it's really, really nice to see a group of people come together 25 years later and still really, really love that thing they did. Right, let's move on to social media thoughts. I like to find out from people on social media on Patreon, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook what they think of the movies that I feature. And we're going to start with the patrons and we're going to start with Andy. And Andy says, That thing you do is an Oneida full take on the knowledge of the 60s Wadney Oneida, complete with the non-stop circuit touring, the Claudine insertion into a beach rock movie, and the obligatory inclusion of other stops in the label, as well as a Spanish language version of their one and only hit. And he spelt one W-O-N and he says, See what I did there? Yes, I do. The casting is fantastic and as the guy who's usually in the rhythm section, I really appreciate the fact that it was the drummer that drove them to stardom. Amazing songs by the late Adam Schlesinger, Fantastic cast and Tom Hanks having a welcome restraint that most of his contemporaries making their directorial debuts can't, i.e. not making themselves the centrepiece of the film. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know who Andy is by now because Andy comments pretty much every episode. His podcast is called Geek Salad and they're a wonderful bunch of people. They take anything that's geeky or nerdy or brilliant and they make a podcast about it. So they talk all about movies, music, games, TV shows. Literally anything and everything geek. And their podcast is wonderful. I've been on it a couple of times and I can't wait to go back. So you should absolutely listen to their podcast. I will put some information in the show notes for them. And the final patron comment comes from Laurel and she says, A long-time favourite in my family, Adam Schlesinger was a singular songwriting talent and the song itself is the embodiment of joy this unneedful film brings with every watch. Broken heart emoji. And Laurel, along with husband Derek, hosts the incredible podcast, The Midnight Myth. They look at pop culture through the lens of history, philosophy and mythology. And it's always so fascinating to listen to. I will, as always, put some information in the show notes for them as well. Moving over to Twitter, we're going to start with Billy at We Watched a Thing, who said, Brilliant songs by the wonderful Adam Schlesinger of one of my all-time favourite bands, Fountains of Wayne. Sadly, he was taken by COVID last year. So young. Looking forward to it, Em. At DW Lundberg said, Perfect bubble gub fun. At A underscore no number underscore man said, Tom Hanks stars and directorial debut. Think he contributed to the songs. A gem of a movie. I love the innocence of the era. A feel-good movie for sure. The band The Wonders have cast perfectly. Clapping hands emoji. Thumbs up emoji. Songs are so catchy. At the underscore FJ underscore podcast said, Great movie, great soundtrack. Shame it never caught on with audiences when it came out. And I'm just now realising my parents were my age now when it came out. I'm a need a moment. And at Cheap Seat Cast said, My favourite line, why are you wearing sunglasses? Because I'm the drummer. Moving over to Instagram, just one comment on Instagram from at Gurney Movie Night, who simply says, Such a good movie. I have to agree with that. No comments over on Facebook, but as always a huge thank you to everyone who took the time to provide a comment for the unneedful that thing you do. Not many of us, as in me or most people listening to this, were born or alive in the 60s. For most of us, we've only seen movies or musical clips from real-life events from the 60s. But we do know from various sources that the 60s were a time of huge societal change. And most of this change comes from listening to the music of the era. 
And the Beatles are undoubtedly one of the most influential bands that have ever existed. So many bands take inspiration from them. And while this isn't a Beatles biopic, because they were most definitely not on Hit Wonders, there are so many parallels and it's hard for a movie like this to not invoke that iconic band. But back to my original point, why, if not many of us were around for the 60s, does this film generate so much natural nostalgia? Why does a period piece still feel timeless? And that's because we all have a natural predisposition to harken back to the good old days, the bygone era, whatever that era was for us. And the story of a one-hit wonder band has no set decade. The music industry hasn't changed all that much for us. The Wonders could be any band, formed with big dreams and then disbanded after a successful first song. And that's why it remains timeless. It's a good hearty slice of nostalgia for those craving a return to bygone days, as well as a smart, savvy take on pop music politics. And that a meteor rise is almost always mirrored by a meteoric fall. I'll never not tire of the pure joy this movie dishes out. The young cast seem to be having the time of their lives and Liv Tyler has the most beautiful hair in all of cinema. And the music, I mean, that theme song is catchy enough to be a one-hit wonder and yet I never tire of hearing it. And it's a really special songwriter who creates something like that. R.I.P. Adam Schlesinger, a seriously brilliant talent. Please watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend if you haven't. It's a great show. He and Rachel Bloom are dynamite on the songs together for that show. And it's also just a really good show generally. Don't let the title put you off. It's wonderful. That thing you do will always be very special to me. It's warm and fuzzy and comforting. And not just because Tom Hanks remains one of the best people on the planet, but that he created something so personal, so thoroughly researched and put together and so charming that honestly, I don't know how anyone could dislike this movie. Sure, it's a simple story, but it's a recognisable one. I haven't seen Tom Hanks' other written, directed by movie Larry Crowd, and I kind of don't want to, actually, because that thing you do is so perfectly nostalgic and sweet. This is what Tom Hanks should have done more of, and I actually lament that Tom Hanks didn't do more writing and directing because he's clearly got a knack for it. I appreciate that this movie took a lot out of him, but he's clearly got what it takes to make a good movie. And this is a movie that men hint towards American history rather than linger on things like the Vietnam War, but that's all part of the illusion that music is all-encompassing and defining. It shows in its simplest terms what music is and what music means. All musicians start with the love for the music. All fans start with the love for the music. That thing you do is just the love of music. And I love that Tom Hanks did it at the height of his Tom Hanksness, so to speak. And you know, sometimes a movie doesn't need to be deep to be meaningful. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on that thing you do. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can help Verbal Diorama be noticed by others by doing something like you can leave a rate or review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You could retweet or like post on social media, or you could simply just tell a friend or a family member about this podcast, especially if they really love this movie. And if you did love this episode specifically, you might also like one of the following episodes. I've mentioned both of these movies already. I have to recommend episode 43, A League of Their Own, because it's just a great Tom Hanks movie for a start, but it's also a great sports movie. And that thing you do feels a lot like A League of Their Own in many respects. A League of Their Own does take this period setting, but it still feels a little bit timeless for me. It's a movie that I could watch on repeat despite it making me cry quite a lot, and it always does make me cry. But it's such a great movie. It is, in my opinion, the best sports movie ever made. Uh, and I know, 
I know I'm probably the only person who thinks that, but I absolutely love A League of Their Own. And it's a great Tom Hanks performance as well. And also episode 87, Josie and the Pussycats, because again, that is a movie that knows what it's talking about, is a very sharp satire of the pop music industry. And it's absolutely brilliant. Again, it did do very well when it came out in 2001, but it's so worth your time. This is a movie that's not available on Blu-ray here in the UK, desperately needs to be fixed. But I would absolutely recommend Josie and the Pussycat. I've recommended that quite a lot recently, but it's a super fun movie that definitely doesn't get the credit it deserves. As always, give me feedback. Let me know if you think I missed a recommendation. Now for the next episode of this podcast, we're actually going to be delving into what I love to call Christmas. And I did this last year and I wanted to focus on Hollywood Chris's. You know the guy, he's a white guy called Chris who features in lots of movies. Last year, I focused on Chris Evans with the Captain America trilogy. And a lot of people really, really loved that trilogy and those episodes because those movies are amazing. And to be honest, when it came to this year, there was really one Chris that I wanted to be part of Christmas. And that is obviously Chris Hemsworth. And obviously, if I'm going to do the Captain America trilogy, I kind of need to do the Thor trilogy. It is a trilogy that I think has some very high highs and a lot of people think some very low lows as well. I'll let you know what I think of Thor The Dark World when I come to it. But for the next episode, I'm going to be looking at the 2011 Thor movie directed by Kenneth Branagh and the movie that introduced us to Chris Hemsworth, to Tom Hiddleston. And really, I think it's a very special little movie and I'm really excited to be talking about it. So join me next time for Thor. And if you do want to keep up to date with everything that I'm doing, you can follow me on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. If you do wish to support the show financially, you are under no obligation to do so. But if you do, you can support the show at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And as always, a huge thank you to the patrons of this podcast, to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Christy, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, and brand new patron, Chris, who's just joined as a Duke Kaboom patron. So feel free to stunt pose all you like, Chris. You deserve it because you're awesome. And really, every single patron, they are Spartacus. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. It will be updated eventually, I promise. You can get in touch with me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com and say hi. Or you can just do that on social media. But however you want to do it, you can do so. You can also pop over to verbaldiorama.com. And you can also pop over to filmstories.co.uk. There is a new issue of the magazine coming out. I have just written my 20th column for that magazine, which is crazy. And also I write articles every week. So catch up with those. And finally. This one's for you, Adam.
Bye.